Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is, as always, wonderful to have you along with us, and uh, it's wonderful to have some people along with me too here, sitting here in the Third Space studio. It's not too cold today. Uh, Stu, regular Hello, co-host, haven't been on for a couple of episodes. Yes, that's but true. But you're back. Yes, I am. Welcome back. Thank you. Mm. Are you feeling well prepared for today? Very well prepared. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and Joey hey. is joining us on the podcast, our pastor at Ride. How are you, man? Yeah, great, great. It's great to have you on. Thanks oh. for being willing to come on. Yeah, excited. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Excellent. I hope so. Well, I let's hope so. Yeah, let's, let's go. <laughs> um, before we start the podcast, though, uh, well, we can. This is the podcast. The podcast has started. Uh, I realise that I've got the wrong lights on. It's from our Chip Lunch podcast. So if you do want to hear about people talking about their journey with God, then you can listen to that podcast. That's our other podcast, our sister podcast, as people like to call it. Joey's been on. Yep. Stu, you haven't. No, no, I haven't. No. Yeah, we think we're saving you for episode 100. Oh, right, okay. Which I think we Is just recorded. How old, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> we might make those jokes when we're on there. But uh, I think we're up to <laughs> episode 93, so you'd be up soon. Oh, there you mm, go. I don't think my story is particularly interesting. Oh, that's what everyone says. I, do. I just yeah. fell into the trap, the yeah. Christian testimony trap. Of mine isn't yeah. very oh, interesting. It's not, yeah, my, um, what is it? Yeah, I don't have a very special testimony. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I'll talk for half an hour about myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not half an hour. People love talking about themselves once you, you get them going. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. end up all being so good. Yeah. I haven't listened to all of them. Thank you. Like, they are, yeah, people come in saying, oh, I'm a bit nervous. Yeah. And then they, <clears throat> you listen to it. It's like, you know, it's actually the working and it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> actually the easiest topic to talk about is yeah. yourself. Yeah, but and how God works through you and yeah. you can give praises to God. It's yeah. good. That's yeah. the yeah, and that's the idea. We're breaking down the barriers of you know the Christian testimony trap of like it's not interesting because we I find like out that. it is. That's, everyone's that's a worthwhile life ambition. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> didn't start that way, but I'm happy to do it. <laughs> um, uh, we always we often start with a cultural artifact or like a movie or a show we're watching, and Stu. You found something called jackhammer farming. Yes, jackhammer farming. And so, how does yes. that work? Well, so we've just been talking about it uh, before the podcast and we watched a really cool video on it, which we might even be able to put a link to in mm. the podcast. Definitely. Uh, basically, there's a lady who lives out at Lightning Ridge, which is about uh, probably about a 10 or 11 hour drive from Sydney, northwest, nearly on the border of New South Wales and Queensland. It's famous for opal mining. It's a semi-arid mm context the town's in a very dry place and there's a lady that wanted to grow a tropical garden in the midst of this place and so she came across this approach called syntropic farming which she learned from south america i can't remember the name of the gentleman that initiated it but uh, they might. it was uh, eric gurch I eric it was eric gurch i think so i don't know is he south american anyway he you was keep a going. swiss guy who yeah. invented it and then someone in South America? Picked it up in South Picked America? Picked it up, yeah. There okay. you go. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, this guy, okay, so a Swiss guy influenced a guy from South America who came <laughs> over to Lightning Ridge. There you go. <laughs> so Lightning Ridge, she lives there and I visited Lightning Ridge. It is a very dry place and it has particularly hard soil. So she came up with a phrase for her gardening technique called jackhammer gardening <laughs> because she has to literally get a jackhammer to break up the soil before she plants plants. But the take on it, and I'm not an expert on it and I've only just started looking into it, but it's fun to talk about uh, syntropic farming is where you actually break up the soil and plant things that would grow in situ so you mm. take the grasses or the plants from lightning ridge that'll grow so it's common sense but actually that also includes not not not, not noxious weeds 
Noxious weeds. Noxious, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Noxious yeah. weeds like prickly pear, which is mm. not common sense. Like you don't usually grow weeds in your garden. But this lady's got basically starts with grass and weeds, as I understand it, and that that begins to grow. So, th- so the idea of it is you grow what will grow, mm. rather than what you want to grow, which probably won't grow. Anyway, she grew all these weeds up, and cut a long story short, she created this whole ecosystem that had a syntropic relationship. All the plants were relying on each other. And the, you know, for example, the cactuses were like water wells for the garden, for yeah. example. So if you actually wanted to grow a banana tree, you don't start with putting a banana tree in the ground because it wouldn't grow out at Lightning Ridge. Well, that's the traditional approach of gardening, isn't it? That's what I suppose it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put your banana tree in and you water it and you put fertiliser on it and hope it'll grow. But this idea is you grow what will grow and then in the midst of that you actually plant your banana tree and the banana tree grows and they've actually got a banana tree growing mm. in in, in a rainforest now. It's amazing. I don't know what you guys thought, but when we watched the video, it was quite cool. Yeah, Joey, what do you, what do you think? It's amazing. you just got this huge patch of tropical kind of plants and trees growing <laughs> in, in Lightning Ridge. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing how, yeah. how it all kind of started from from weeds. Mm. Weeds? <laughs> yeah. Like, I went after you showed me, um, Stu, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to show my wife because she's really into gardening and stuff. She really enjoys it and finds it really relaxing. And I couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want, But also the thing is that I appreciate... You feign interest. Well, I don't feign interest. I go, you're really good at that mm. and I can see the results, but I don't want to do it. There you go. Okay. And that's I think that's um, very good. I have a lot of respect for people that do that and, and what was interesting was and i think you alluded to it a little bit Stu. this that they said uh it's growing what you can grow so you can grow what you actually want to grow yeah that's, that's what they were saying which is really a really fascinating do and she said i've been doing it traditional way for 18 years and i had to find a different way of doing it she'd been like slogging away trying to build gardens in the traditional way of just planting it, watering it, and just, oh, we'll just keep watering it and see if it works. But then mm-hmm. even the host of the show said, if you brought a banana tree from somewhere else on a truck, it'd probably die on the way to Lightning Ridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. a good Wouldn't comment. Wouldn't even make it, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, it is so arid, like the, yeah, the climate yeah, is yeah. so poor. So um, I thought it was a really good way to, um, thanks to you, Stu, of finding it, of like laying a foundation of what we can talk about today, which is kind of, Church planning, growing small churches, and those kind of things, and that's and one of the reasons we've got Joey on the podcast is because he's been part of that. So, Joey, do you want to just give us a little bit of background for people who don't know too much about a ride gathering? You are the pastor of the ride gathering, as we said, and can you remind me how long has it been since you came on board at Soul Revival? Uh, since the beginning of last year. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so it's. So you're like a year and a half in? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. right. So we've kind of told the story of Ride, how it was prior to you arriving, mm-hmm. but it was important to bring a pastor on board at a certain point because we started, started growing. What were your initial impressions coming in and what were you thinking and why, why did you want to actually join Soravival to be part of the church plant? Yeah, um, initial impressions, I guess it's good to start back with uh, being close friends with mm-hmm. some of the really core members uh, who started the Bible study kind of pre-COVID, just before the first wave of COVID. And amazingly, God grew that Bible study <laughs> during COVID. Uh, and and then they got to a point where they were like, what do we do next? What's our next step? Um, because this Bible study has grown. Uh, friends have been invited. People have become Christians, uh, which is amazing. And uh, it was at that point, I think they were starting to talk to Stu about what the next step would be. Mm. But being friends with, I think, some of the core members, that was my mm. first point of contact. 
uh, of hearing about what was happening there. Um, my first impression was like, I, I don't know what this is. <laughs> like, I, was, I was still studying at college mm-hmm. and going, oh, like, it's amazing. Like, you guys are just getting together, reading the Bible, inviting friends. Um, but what is this? <laughs> and <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it wasn't kind of towards the end of um, you know, nearly wrapping up college, finishing my studies, uh, that uh, Ian, one of those core members, mm. came and, you know, talked to us about considering this you know, kind of wild idea mm. of church planting. It was never on my radar, <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of coming out of college. Mm. But uh, both Mary and I were open to seeing what God would uh, place before us, what the needs were uh, just around us. And so, yeah, that was when we started to have chats with Stu. Um, really enjoyed visiting here, getting to know uh, the people at Sully's. Mm. And yeah, that's kind of where it began. I think the first time I met you was in Grace and Michelle's, yeah. who part of the core team, in their lounge room at West Ride when my son and I came over to that's visit right. one time, right? I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, that was I'm, really cool. I don't think we chatted for very long, but it was like, that was the first time. Yeah. You, you were obviously being a part of it for a little bit of time prior to then. Is that right? Uh, I think that w- at that time we were still just visiting. We were, okay. getting, we were just kind of getting to know uh, what this was, mm. uh, heading, yeah, heading to Grace and Michelle's mm. place. We had pizza that night <laughs> and... I think they were still streaming a service, actually. Yep, they were. Yeah, at that yep. time. I yeah. remember. I think you preached that night when I, was, I watched you from far, <laughs> from afar. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> very po- yeah, as a senior right? pastor, very possible <laughs> you were preaching. <laughs> but as to that point, the senior pastor, Stu, um, you've been involved a lot with the ride plan, of course, because you're mm. the senior pastor. What Are you able to kind of lay out just briefly the, the reason that, you know, the, the thought was ride gathering had been going, but we thought that like, having Joey come on board was an important step. Yeah, what was, what was very, that? It was awesome, actually. Because mm. we, we had um, started the ride gathering just before COVID, as Joey said, with Michelle and Grace left our Sunday afternoon gathering and Grace was moving to ride and she said, is there any way of staying friends? And so we went and chatted with Archie Poulos from Moore College and we talked about would it be a good idea to plan a Bible study so far away and... The idea was, what if we planned a Bible study and that that even might become a church plant? And so it was really, let's plant something that might grow where, what was the phrase from the gardening thing? Oh yeah, was it grow what you can grow so you can grow what you want to grow? Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought of the syntropic idea because Mm. that's what we did with Ride. We grew something that we could grow, which was, we were really close, uh, Michelle, Grace and I. And so Grace then asked a few friends to join a Bible study, including Ian and others, and that started to grow. And uh, Iris and Charlie were the first two people to become Christians in that Bible study, which was really exciting. And when they got married and asked me to marry them, it was really lovely that um, because I can't speak Chinese and uh, Iris's mother isn't great with English, we thought we'd have a bit of fun with that at the (laughs) wedding. And so her mum was in Shanghai and we phoned her over FaceTime and when you get to the point of the service where you say who gives this woman to be married to this man I said that in broken Mandarin (laughs) which um, I was still practicing right up until the start of the service and some of the guests actually asked me to give it a go and they just didn't actually just spill my 
dispel my doubts because they had a good giggle after I said what I said. And Can you do it now? I can't remember, can't remember how to do it. Yeah, no, but it was really fun and everyone thought it was a fun idea. But the other funny thing was Iris's mum couldn't speak English great. So she's. I, I was going to ask her in Mandarin who gives this woman to be married to this man and she was going to answer in English. So we all had a, a really lovely moment where we're all coming together like that. So that was a really beautiful mm. example of how organic it was and... So, yeah, Bible study is not super impressive to the world and actually in the pl- church planting world, uh, you're not really considered to be a church plant or a campus of a church plant until you get to about 50 people. So really, like a small Bible study of six people or seven or eight people isn't really considered to be a church plant. But I think what I like about that cultural artefact we began with is a garden of weeds and prickly pears and, and grasses isn't usually considered to be a garden either, but it's actually really essential for that foundational step to be really something that could be built on so we got to a point where we were big enough to not meet in a lounge room anymore so we were worried about that and we were kind of aspirationally thinking it'd be great to start a formal service but how do we do that without preachers and so we had a few uh, conversations about it and Ian talked to Joey and then it was really lovely actually because Ian said oh probably would have been good if I talked to you first but I went and talked to Joey and asked him if he's interested to come and he'd like to come and I think you're pretty laid back and you'd be cool with that I'm like yeah I'm cool with that and then he goes so could we put Joey on as a senior as a, as a pastor rather an assistant pastor at, uh, to lead us at Ride and I said that'd be unreal but how are we going to afford it and then to my amazement the six of the core team in the Ride team said look we're really happy to to give a to fund that and we were just blown away right across the church it was just such a magnificent example of putting a banana tree on a truck and bringing it from <laughs> the city to that ride. didn't die yeah that didn't yeah. die but they just got that mary and joey are far more impressive than a banana tree but um but it was like plant how do we plant some something mm. strong and stable like a fruit tree in in the midst of what we've already got mm. to start a church plant so I've been eternally thankful to Mary and Joey for their faith. I remember we were talking to each other a couple of times over the internet. When Joey and Mary did join, it was a really hectic year for us because we were really flat stick, as many of you probably were coming out of COVID. Uh, We Mm. found that coming out of COVID was even harder than being in COVID Mm -hmm. because we had our leadership teams decimated. And the thing I felt really bad about is we didn't have our leadership structure set up. So these poor guys are trying to work out how to plan a church and try and understand soul revival and be at distance while we were still nebulous and trying to work out how to reform as a church. So yeah, hats off to Joey. I think you're a very mm. humble and patient man. And um, anyway, so Joey and Mary joined, and and it's very exciting that we launched earlier this year. So mm-hmm. it's very yeah. exciting. Do you want to describe that process of launching, um, Joey? Yeah. Uh, well, at the beginning of last last year, when I came on, uh, they had just found the location where we are now. Yep. At, uh, yeah, Grace f- talked to the Presbyterians. Yeah, didn't she? that's right. Mm. She had a friend there. Um, they had the hall available. And so that was, yeah, just kind of got working through that. <laughs> and so that was it. Even before I'd come, they had kind of found this place. And that was, I guess, a point where they were ready to start some of these services. And we started slowly. I think that was really wise. Like Stu was counselling us to, to start, but to just uh, be okay with experimenting, working things out mm-hmm. um, slowly. Uh, and I thought that was really helpful. So I think originally we were starting perhaps fortnightly. I think that was the case mm, before we that, yeah. before we went to weekly, mm. uh, and that was really helpful to have some time to um, do a service, um, get together, reflect on it, think about what we were doing, and 
uh, I think that was helpful for us kind of, yeah, just starting off as a church plant. Uh, helpful for us, for, for Mary and I, kind of just finding our way and getting used to uh, what was going on there. And, and that was, I think, for that year, pretty much, from I think about March mm. to um, beginning of this year, that was almost seen as a bit of a soft launch. We were welcoming people, so um, kind of inviting friends to just come visit, to hang out, uh, and but still using that space as a place of experimentation, mm-hmm. uh, gathering together, sitting under God's word. Um, and so th- I think that helped to kind of steady things to kind of, for everyone, really, the whole congregation to kind of go, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, this is the vision. This is... Uh, how Solis kind of is thinking about church and community and evangelism. Uh, and so that was a really helpful time. Mm. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. just, you said like, uh, it's good to be experimenting at that time. Mm. How are you yourself with the experimenting and the guys that are part of the congregation there as well? Yeah. Uh, I think for me, coming, coming out of college, uh, they, they were constantly warning us, uh, wanting us in terms of just letting us know, you know, how ambiguous ministry would be <laughs> for, for any kind of situation, whether it was for uh, an assistant minister position at a larger church or a church plant, but particularly a church plant. Mm-hmm. There's just, you know, extreme levels of um, flexibility required, a lot of ambiguity. And so I think in my mind, th- theoretically, I had that quite set. I was like, this is going to be really... Th- you know, ambiguous, things are going to change a lot and I'm going to have to be kind of okay with that and prepared for that. Uh, and to some extent I was, um, but I think <laughs> you can, yeah, <laughs> but you can, I think until you get into that experience, until you, you're actually on the ground um, and you're with people, you're, um, and pastoring people, uh, kind of bumping into all these really, uh, practical things that happen within church uh, and within relationships, then you're going, oh, I get what you mean. I get what they meant by really ambiguous mm. and um, having a lot of flexibility uh, as a pastor. So I think I was, I guess that was really uh, a yeah, very practical learning space. Mm. <laughs> and separate from all the theory, it was kind of like, oh, okay, like this is, uh, it's game time. <laughs> doing this um, slightly different because you're from like, used to work in architecture beforehand. Yeah. Is it right, very yeah. different to that? Yeah, in in some ways. Yeah. Uh, although I, I guess in architecture there's always like you're always prepared for a lot of change as well. Mm. Uh when you're I know, engaging clients, uh when design sh- kind of shift, when construction doesn't go, you know, <laughs> as it's supposed to, yeah. then yeah, you also have to be quite flexible and, and adapt to the situation. So I think there was, yeah, part of that training was helpful. Mm. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. cool. What about, do you like designing stuff for the church though? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know how much like uh, we're allowed to do. <laughs> we had a rented church hall. <laughs> been thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, I guess uh, there's definitely uh, times when you go, oh yeah, like wouldn't it be great if, uh, to, to be able to dream a bit. Mm. And I think that's a nice part of like church planning. You get to dream a bit kind of envision uh, what a space could be, what your congregation could be. Um, and so, yeah, there are times when I do that, but <laughs> I guess practically there's probably not much we, <laughs> we end up doing. Yeah, yet anyway. Um, I mean, 
but even just little things at the beginning, we we experimented with just you know orientation of yeah. the church hall. We oh, were just which way you were facing. Yeah, 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 we were facing the stage before, mm. but we realized as we we're thinking just about the little things about welcoming people into the church, um, how they come through to the to the kitchen, to the coffee machine, mm-hmm. how they get welcomed by the others, um, what kind of space allowed people to to see each other, like as they're singing, as they're gathering together, you know, just you know, that shift to make it a horizontal orientation. Mm. Little things like that mm. just uh, end up, I think, helping the congregation to, um, to grow and to um, yeah, think about being in community together. Mm. That's actually like even the horizontal, like going in different, it's actually what we're doing. Like, yeah, I mean, right. no, people can't see it on the camera, <laughs> but it's actually what we, we did here as well, wasn't it, Stu, that when we came to the factory. It works, like, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was, it, was it ever a vertical? Or I think we, we tried, we thought we tried it, it at a wedding. The first thing we had here actually, yeah, funnily right. enough, was a wedding, Dan yeah, that's right. wedding, and yeah. we did that long ways ah. in the other room actually because we weren't even ready in here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's nothing like this. It <laughs> didn't work at all. Mm. <laughs> in terms of relationality, it's like, yeah, you know, you've got people sitting up the back who don't feel a part of it and the people who are right up the front kind of yeah. feel like everyone's looking at them. So it's sort yeah. of a better thing to have it horizontal yeah. if you can, I think, yeah. Mm. That's a, just an interesting uh, learning point from that. Stu, uh, Joey talked about the ambiguity mm. that ministry creates <laughs> or mm. there, there is ambiguity within ministry. In your experience, and you've been you've done ministry for a very long time now, mm. What? how do you deal with the ambiguity? What? What's your approach mm. to that? I feel like you, your personality can deal with a fair bit of ambiguity yeah, itself. I think, but I think that's, that's yeah. very true. I think... Uh, I think... I think the thing about church planning is it's deliberately looking for a new idea mm-hmm. without throwing out the gospel and changing the gospel, mm. but looking for new ways of doing church. And so it's very experimental. So it's iterative in its design. So I think the way I cope with that is that I think that we will we will discover a better way of doing things as we work on it. And then down the track, the next stage probably won't be as fraught because we'll have worked a few things out. And then the next stage will bring some problems. And then the stage after that won't be as fraught because we'll have worked some more things out. So I think it's, for me, I enjoy the challenge of building something to be less ambiguous, but to start from nothing is a passion of mine. I really do like starting from nothing. So, And I've always really been drawn to the idea of not necessarily building on somebody else's ministry, which is not a bad thing to do, but I really, I think, where is it, Jai, uh, Jai, where is it, Joel? Sorry, Romans, fif- Romans 15. Yeah, where is it, Joel? Yeah, Romans fifteen twenty. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So that's kind of a funny thing to say in the city because there's a lot of people who've heard the gospel before, but actually there are a lot of people within our city that actually haven't kind of got it and haven't really connected. So I've already, number one, I I don't mind ambiguity because I like trying to reach out to people who don't know the gospel and try and go to people that aren't like me. So I'm always finding that I have to try and work out how to communicate the gospel effectively and clearly and develop helpful discipleship models for each new context. So I really love that challenge of doing that. And I don't think that's how everyone necessarily sees ministry and obviously not even in Paul's time. Peter was uh, actually building up the church in Jerusalem as Paul went out to preach the gospel amongst um, the nations. With, But yeah, I think I really like the idea of 
reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and to build churches for people who don't go to church. So as a result, that's going to bring a lot of trial and error and a lot of ambiguity. So I feel like it's actually part of the adventure to do that. Mm. It can get tiring. Um, the funny thing is what actually gets tiring is you do something new in a new context and you find out something that works okay. Mm. And then after you find that, then you'll have other people come on board who will go, I don't get that. I don't know if that's the way to do it. So the funny thing is you, the, the goal of iterative design is to try and find a new thing that will work. And you sometimes think to yourself, I think I've found something new that will work. But then the next challenge is to encourage everybody else who comes along that <laughs> this actually does work when they've experienced different things elsewhere. So that's, mm -hmm. that's actually quite a difficult communication process. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm always good at that because in that second stage, you've also got to be listening to the new people coming because they might have a better iteration than you've been able to think of. So the idea for me is it's almost like a cake that you've got to try and layer the cakes and each, each level has to build on top of the other. So it's, uh, sometimes church planning is a bit like herding cats. There's all these hundreds of ideas and everyone's <laughs> running off doing stuff. So the, the, the difficult part being a pastor is to try and give some shape and form to it without killing off that entrepreneurial spirit of the mm. community. And you don't want to stop people ministering or discourage anyone. And I hate saying to people, oh, I don't know if that'll work or we tried that and that's not really what we're trying to do because you do need to have some kind of shape as you move forward. And I sometimes worry, the thing I worry about with ambiguity is have I got it right? Have I got the call right? Should I say this is what we do and this is how we do it? Now, it's easy when it comes to the gospel because... If the Bible says it, it's the way it's going to be. But yeah. it's more the strategy that's the hard part for yeah. me because I don't want to clip anybody's wings. And sometimes people are just as excited about doing new things as I am and I don't want them to feel like they're building on my work either. I want them to feel like they can explore. So there's a balance. But then on the other side of the equation is if, you don't, if you're not present enough in the ministry, people can feel sad too. So I think there's a tightrope walk in church planning as we all want to give freedom to people to try new things but also give them some shape, be present with them, but not so much that you stifle them, <laughs> but also be not so far away that they feel lonely. So, And I think the best way to deal with all those things is through communication and creating spaces for communication. And that's why I love our councils that we've set up at Sorrel Bible because I figure that we've got this, this rhythm of somewhere we come to talk about working on the ministry, not just in the ministry. So we work in the ministry every week, but you know, what, where are we going? What are we trying to do? Uh, I, think, I think that what I liked about that gardening analogy is there was a logic to the whole thing. It wasn't a chaotic mess, this jackhammer farming thing. It wasn't like, just get a jackhammer and dig a hole somewhere and, and throw some seeds. <laughs> you know, they, in, if you look into it, if you're interested later, syntropic, tropic, that's right, syntropic farming is about order but it looks very chaotic mm. and so it looks messy and you know, to, pl to plant a plum tree in the middle of all these weeds is a bit weird but it works because they're all if if all the pieces are working together so mm. i think church planting is like syntropic plant uh, it, it's plant something where there's nothing plant something that will grow where nothing is really growing and then you can plant what you want to plant into that and that's what we kind of did with the bible study at ride and then planted yeah. Joey and Mary into that with us mm. and they've then become part of the ecosystem mm. and then they've joined into the joy of all this messiness as well. <laughs> but um, but I, I've got a passion for starting new things and I've got a passion for small things that grow and I think the other reason I'm okay with that is bigger organisations are a bit easier to read, they've got their ways of doing things, it's a bit 
more less thought goes into stuff it's a bit more relaxing there's less possibility for conflict in some respects i suppose other things cause conflict but if you're not trying to work it out what you're doing all the time there's less conflict whereas if you're working things out all the time there's the danger of discouraging people or disagreeing not well you know there's there's all those things but the real beauty of doing something in a small context is so many of us are in small contexts and for us to start talking about that context as valuable and that we can do things in the small contexts within the Christian world excites me because I think if we can get lots of syntropic gardens growing right across the place, that could actually even draw more people for the gospel than a big big show where people could feel lost and not really part of something meaningful sometimes mm. too. Yeah, that's interesting that you say like, like large organisations have their thing set up, but they're also harder to turn around. Yeah, they too. Are, so if yeah. it's going in the wrong direction, it's a lot harder to make. A, and a you see that, that, don't you? Like with with uh, Willow Creek, that was an amazingly successful organisation and church, and that was planted in the seventies by a youth group that then mm. became one of the biggest mega churches in the world under Bill Hybels. And in the nineteen nineties, he came out with his whole team to Sydney, and it's almost like every minister in every church in Sydney went to listen how to do seeker services and how to do this and how to do that. But already by the nineties, I think talking to their youth minister Bo Boshes, Willow Creek was already having a bit of a crisis because the whole model they set up was based on baby boomers and what they okay. wanted from church, and they wanted a big event with as little cost as possible. And then you get the Gen X is coming through who wanted community it's and they wanted a bit more them. messiness <laughs> and something that wasn't an event that had a bit more substance and they just left the churches in droves. So I've, mm. I've driven past Willow Creek actually when I went to Chicago last year and it's still a big church but I don't think it's as huge as it was and I don't know that it's as significantly influential in the world scene as it was because it was kind of like an idea that was hard to turn around. Mm. And so what we do like about small things at Solis is we've been able to apply a ministry model to Gen X that then kind of worked with Gen Y and now we've planted a uh, church with, what are we up to now, millennials, Zoomers, Zoomers, Zoomers Alphas, whatever they are. I'm not sure what's next. I'm a sociologist (laughs) and I'm already lost. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's really cool to create something that's a bit like a garden that grows Mm -hmm. and changes and and can adapt and uh, yeah, I think that's really cool. I don't know what you guys think. Well, just to touch on your ambiguity thing as well. I mean, I think I sometimes struggled with ambiguity when I was younger and I remember reading something that like action actually reduces ambiguity. Now, that doesn't mean I think like in a ministry context, just go in like a well, in a china shop and just start yelling a bit. That's not very pastoral. <laughs> but um, it's funny, I think that like as humans, we're experiential learners. We'll actually do something and we we'll go, well, that wasn't right well that wasn't her mm. perfect or what would i do better next time so i thought since you've started joey i suppose there's two questions is like what what like looking back what do you think we did right or didn't that worked what do you think mm. that didn't work but my other question for that is uh were you planning churches in the shire that's what we'd done yeah. before and then yeah. we did ride which is in a very different part of sydney almost on the other side of sydney mm-hmm. uh what do you think because you've been part of the staff for a year and a half. What do you think were the differences there? Why don't we start with that? What do you think the differences were that? And then we can talk about what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. Differences between some of the, the Shire. Yeah, just your obs- observations of like planning in a different part of Sydney. Yeah. Oh. Um, I think one of the first things I noticed was that, uh, I guess particularly looking at the Shire, how, and because, you know, I grew up, <coughs> in the kind of northern, northwestern region of Sydney, 
hadn't been to the Shire too much actually before <laughs> joining Solis. Yeah, well, I haven't uh, been too much to ride no. before then. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. But it was, uh, I guess, interesting to see as I visited some of those uh, other plants, like particularly Yarrawarra and then coming to Kirui as well, the, the, I don't know, tightness, the closeness of the Shire just region and community. Mm. Uh, I guess I didn't have any too, too, too like deep reflections about it, but it was just interesting just seeing how uh, even people in Kirui, uh, yeah, they came from kind of all over the Shire um, and it's kind of close. It's still community. People are friend. People were like friends from from high school, mm. from primary school, yeah. um, and they grew up together. Mm. Moved to different areas of the Shire. Still really close friends, and then still uh, and still really close friends at church as well, um, which is really interesting. Uh, whereas maybe this is anecdotal, but just thinking about in the ride area or in that northwestern region, it almost has seemed a bit more transient. Mm, um, that's interesting. Yeah, people mm. are much more, have moved around just a lot more and they kind of stay kind of where they've moved out to. They might, um, yeah, explore, like go to try a different church in the local area. Um, but that's, yeah, that's just some people. I guess there are others who, yeah, end up, uh, previously uh, my home church was a Chinese church in West Ride and people came from, you know, all over Sydney. Oh, right. oh really? And, yeah. Uh, they, they might have lived in the right area for a bit. They moved because of schooling, because of work. Um, they would have still called that church their home, travelled into it. So it was the, like the church was the thing of like what everyone were kind of willing to come back for, whereas in the Shire, for example, it was it's about the friendships and relationships they've had for a long time? Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I, I think that was what I noticed. Like right. that was so, um, which was really lovely to see that people had known each other for just yeah a long time. They were friends, had grown up together, or had uh, gone to school together. Kind of disconnected, but then come back together at church, and mm. that was really lovely to see. Mm. Whereas I maybe it's just me. I just haven't seen as as much of that happen uh, in in that area. Well, it's often called the insular peninsula, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't surprise me. Sometimes, you know how people, always at weddings, always at weddings where we go to like, thanks for coming over the bridge, guys. (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, come on. You get tired of it. (laughs) It's a bit of a meme, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's always like, oh, thanks for coming over the Tom Ugly's bridge, guys. And like, it's not that far. Yeah. Yeah. I did a bit of research into why that happened. What? Sorry? Why people had that sense. From the bridge. Mm. Why? Got a theory. The theory is the first train line only came to the Shire in the late 1800s, and then the first road only happened in like the 1910s, 20 something around like that. And so up till then, the Shire was really isolated, and the only way you could mm. get to the Shire was over a punt. Yep. So there was a sense by shot from Shire people that they were isolated and they didn't feel connected to the rest of the city, but they wanted to be. And so it was a long way to go to come to the Shire. Mm. And then even after the bridge was built, the road bridge, people in the city didn't didn't tend to think of going living in the Shire because it was in the boondocks. So people from the eastern suburbs, for example, would go, if someone like my wife's mum and dad left the eastern suburbs and came to Cronulla and lived in Cronulla, and their whole family was like, what? That'd be like going living in 
like the other side of Australia. Like it was like so far away. How are you yeah. going to get to the city? So I think there was this culture built up in the Sutherland Shire of we're other, we're further away. Right. And the whole they made jokes about the Shire being God's country too because everyone goes on with that silly joke. Mm. But I think that also comes from the fact that it was a tourism location. And so people, they used to advertise it as, as God's country because of the beaches and the and the park to get people to come and visit because it was a tourism location. So I think yeah. those two things combined and it created a bit of a culture of we we really have a beautiful natural environment and we're a long way away, so thanks for coming. It still it sounds weird now because yeah. the city's so connected, but, mm. yeah, that's where I reckon it comes from. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. You and can cut that out of the podcast if you don't think that's no, relevant. Keep that, but I, it actually reminded me of a thing back when we were in, uh, at Solis and um, when we were at Gymer Anglican and we created that. There was a bit of, like, intra inter, inter um suburb rivalry there was, yeah, yeah. As, it was all fun and games but yeah. <laughs> remember there was a game created called schlocker we made that up which <laughs> we what we talked about on the um podcast last week with Braden and ethan but yeah. and they divided into um uh three Fine different suburbs point and kirawi and everybody yeah. else Yes, and <laughs> that's where I got stuck. But um, and everybody else. But our friend Chris... So if you came from Ride, you're in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, our friend Chris did a video to kind of promote it. <laughs> they were like, they profiled the different suburbs and they're like, because he was from Guymere. So the two people that did it were lived in Guymere and they're like, well, if... And they did put this voice on it and it's like, well, if Guymere is... Uh, no, they said, if the Shire is God's country, then Guymere is surely his master bedroom. <laughs> 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 so that's, it's just that's a funny attitude that we yeah, have here yeah. but it makes sense what you're saying yeah, about yeah. how you're explaining it and when you understand areas it's like it's like that jackhammer principle like if you know the soils a certain kind of soil mm. you, you can't just bring another technique to that soil that works somewhere else and because it works in the shire it doesn't mean it'll necessarily work in ride so mm. the way we've kind of broken it down in our own little version of that sing tropic, tropic. <laughs> Tropic gardening <laughs> is to talk about let's have the same theology like let's mm. be reformed evangelical that's the most important thing let's preach christ crucified and risen from the dead you know let's do that and mm. then we're all sinners we need a savior then after we've got that theology in common we're reformed evangelical then the next stage is what is our strategy mm. so that that form of gardening is a strategy and i suppose that it works in lightning ridge but as the the lady that we saw on the video said she said it works in other places around the world too uh joe you were talking about even your experience in one of your projects at uni you were talking about building gardens in the urban area now that'd be different but a similar kind of thing which i'd love you to speak to in a sec but mm. when it comes to how do you take a strategy that that is in our case an all-age all-stage approach that's low-key long-term and relational and it is 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 an intergenerational approach that really encourages people to have a strong relationship to God and a strong relationship to each other. So we talk about being committed to God and being committed to each other. That's a really important part of what we do. Um, other ministries are different in their strategy. If you've got a university ministry in a university town, then people are going to be constantly moving through that church. So there won't mm. be that mm. level of commitment to each other. Uh, but, you know, while you're there, there's commitment, but not the long-term relational one. So ours is a particular strategy. So I think for, you know, Joey and Mary, giving them space to think through that strategy, is this something we abide? Is this mm. something we feel convicted to do? It takes time for that to happen. But then out of that theology and that strategy comes your practice of mission and discipleship. And that's where the flexibility comes in. So you take that model of farming or growing stuff and then you try and do different practices wherever you go. There'll be different plants. Prickly pears might work in the country, but they wouldn't work in the city. I mean, do you mind talking a bit about your project, for example, that you were talking about? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess at, at the end of my uh, architecture degree, uh, I was interested in uh, looking at like unused spaces, uh, kind of the in-between spaces in urban areas. Mm. I think it was during the time, it was before or just on the cusp of uh, the Green Square, Alexandria area mm. being really developed. And now there's high-rises everywhere. Yeah, there is. But it was <laughs> just uh, at that kind of moment where a lot of places were being bought out or abandoned, a lot of factories, uh, industrial places that were disused. And so it was kind of like a theoretical project of exploring, you know, you know what we could do with these spaces, um, you know, with kind of issues of farming and transportation, the costs of all that that was happening around rural New South Wales, kind of exploring, oh, well, yeah, could there be a, a possibility of uh, urban farming in these in-between spaces uh, in the city mm. and kind of weaving a narrative of, you know, what that could become in the future of um, for sustainability, for the environment, for growing your own kind of, probably not everything, but, your, mm. you know, some of your own resources in the spaces where you almost live. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was kind of uh, a nice kind of uh, alignment with the syntropic kind of planting. And that's why I was so interested in it. It was just yeah, wonderful to hear how organic and natural uh, that kind of method is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what I love about that is it's, it's symbolic of what we're doing at Ryder in Kirawee that we've got something that is growing a garden at Kirawee and does the same strategy and the, theology lead to some practices that will look differently but mm. does the same kind of idea mm. yeah. that will look really different in the city or the bush, uh, Kirawee or Ryder, does it, does it actually mm. help to create something new in that, that section because the experiment is if we could do something different in Ryde and Kiroi, I mean, Sutherland Shire is primarily Anglo still and it's exciting to have people of uh, predominantly Chinese background in another part of Sydney mm -hmm. saying let's see if we can build a similar concept and what then happens is we learn from each other mm -hmm. because we're both trying to do the same thing. I think we've learnt more from Ryde than we've actually shared with you guys. Like You've taught us heaps, mate, and yeah, you're a really, really high-level thinker and you you're very humble and godly and you're prayerful and you're reading your scriptures and you're basing everything on the gospel, but you're also really excited about investing a lot of thought into how to how to help people to get to know Jesus and, again, have the same, let's do something from scratch. Let's mm. not build on, very in a very real way, you guys aren't building on our ministry, you're, you're starting your own ministry mm. to a group yeah. of people, but using a similar framework. Yep. And mm. if we can do that, I mean... It might be uh, something we can come back to in the podcast or end with, but we're starting to talk to... Um, we've been friends with Aboriginal uh, Christians out in Western New South Wales for a long time, but after 10 years of Sorrel Revival Church, we're starting to think, could we could we uh, do more in practical partnership with the Northwestern New South Wales? And what of the things that we're learning between Kiriwe and Ride could be helpful out Bush? Because they've already yes. helped us with our approach because we wouldn't do dinners at church if it wasn't for them. We wouldn't uh, do the intergenerational stuff with so much confidence if it wasn't for their model of us. So in many ways, our, our model here in Sydney has, has already kind of transplanted from the Bush. So could we also be kind of sharing ideas backwards and forwards there. So we're pretty excited about giving confidence to groups of people in small spaces, in small churches, that the action is in the church and you don't have to just be a big church to be something that can be learnt from. There's a lot to be learnt from each other in smaller contexts. And the other thing I'm excited about is maybe we could connect up 
our smaller context together a bit more, which would be really good as well. Uh, well, I would like it that you, Stu, you brought up the the idea of like the theology is always the same, the strategy is the same most of the time in the practice where it's flexible, and mm. we've talked about that before. But I've been to Wright a few times, and I really, really love going there because I still feel like I'm at a soul revival church. Yeah, mm. people at different location, people from different backgrounds. Um, people I don't know as well but I still feel like that was something that I really noticed last time we were there it was like oh this still feels like church it's very, still different but it yeah, was like yeah. I'm so glad I came and my kids love going but it's not just a franchise <laughs> is it I mean there's some no. things we have in common like, mm. but, but it doesn't feel like a franchise either does yeah, it? it's of the area as well I think yeah I and think so too I think that's yeah. what's um, well, exciting I wonder if it's the relationship between the leadership that actually makes that too because we all so. work really hard like the guys at Ride particularly work hard at coming down to Carroll we go well, last Saturday they did the same thing yeah they did last yeah. Saturday so I think the relationships are part of that yeah but i don't know what do you reckon yeah yeah oh definitely i think like, as you're saying the the principles the vision and the strategy actually i think that's really what helps mm. uh hold kind of things together the theology mm. that we share mm. um which is wonderful and i think uh helps uh, shapes you know god's word helping to shape the congregation uh and it is the the practice, the expressions of how those strategies unfold, they, they probably bring about the, the wonderful kind of differences mm. in how we mm. bring the gospel to bear into that area, mm. to, to ride and to Meadowbank, uh, which forms part of the ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a really nice way to come back to it, is mm. the, uh, the flexibility. That's good. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you're asking questions about, well, yeah, we, we have the theology and we have the strategy, um, but how, yeah, how, do we, how are we going to get into this kind of density of apartments down mm. by the water mm. in Meadowbank. Exactly. How do we reach out to these right. the people? How do we see the gospel preached to the lost uh, with these mm. same strategies of sharing the truth and love of Jesus? So true. But needing to find different ways because mm. it's so kind of different from the Shire. Mm. Um, and so many, uh, so many people, it's, it's so transient, so many people moving in uh, to Meadowbank for different reasons, for education, for work. Uh, and yeah, I think that's been... It's interesting. Yeah. Because Meadow, Meadow Bank is a reasonably, reasonably uh, a highly expanding area because they built so many apartment blocks there too, right? Yeah, just yeah. in the recent, like, I don't know, six, seven, yeah. eight years. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. The, the, I think the practice is where you mm. go. I mean, the strategy is let's plant weeds. <laughs> and I think this is just me thinking out loud, but the, the strategy yeah, is let's plant weeds. But the practice is there's different weeds that grow in different areas. So that just occurred to me that right. where, they, where Joey wouldn't have used prickly pear in the city urban mm. gardens that he was designing and vice versa. So what is the weeds in Meadowbank? Yeah, what's, what, the, what's, what's the noxious the, what's weed? <laughs> <laughs> what grows? Like yeah, what grows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What grows? So yeah. it'd be silly yeah. to go, oh, let's do a surf school mm. in Meadowbank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as fun as that would be. <laughs> On the Parramatta River. <laughs> On the Parramatta River. Because <laughs> there's no surf. So and the same, same, you know, what you, so what is it? But yeah. then there's parks in Meadowbank yeah. like there is mm. in Kiriwee and yep. yeah, I mean, there's, places to meet people so i think that's really cool sorry i interrupted no, no, no. Yeah. you were kind of talking about the future joey but i was just wondering yeah. since you've been on staff and been at ride what we i said it before but we haven't really talked about it yet but what would you perhaps do you think that was did right we'd like yes that we should we definitely should have done what shouldn't we not have done mm -hmm. and then maybe we can talk more about what's also coming in the future yeah, we can get yeah. more into that yeah yeah uh what do we do right um well, there were just, uh, I think we, we, st we well, particularly when I came in, 
uh, I think I came in almost a bit sideways. Mm. The group had already been there. A lot of relationships and friendships already formed. Uh, and so uh, in a really w- great way, you kind of hit the ground running in terms of those relationships. So because friendship is such a core thing as part of Solis, mm. uh, we hit the ground running. Mm. The did. Bible study yeah, you did. Uh, supported one another throughout COVID. Mm. They loved each other, served each other when people were sick mm. um, and kind of got through the really difficult time of COVID. Mm. And they were growing through that in, in number and in maturity as well. Mm. And so when, when they planted and located in Ride, and when I came in, it was wonderful to see that those relationships were already there. There was a community that had formed. Um, there was a lot of love in that community. One of those, you know, core values of Solis, and and I think they, the, there was already almost a culture, and they were con- trying to continue to foster, but this culture of inviting mm. their colleagues and their friends, mm. this culture of evangelism, really, it was, um, yeah. and a real heart that was led by, you know, the core team. Mm, it was. Uh, but I think it flowed through, and I think that was mm. a great place to mm. to start. As, as we often say. Leaders as friends first. Yeah, that's right. For people to be welcomed into. Yeah, and can I encourage you too in that? Because and and my Aboriginal friends tell me that we're a bit like them in this that, um, because we love Grace and Ian and 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 Michelle and everyone, uh, you know Louisa and Wing, and we were friends with them. Mm. And because Ian loved you, because I loved Ian and trusted Ian, I loved and trusted you. So. Mm. I think that was a really nice strategy that we had that friendship isn't just based on you and I have things in common, but it's actually you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're brothers. We're already reconciled so we can be committed to each other in Christ and just learn how to express that Mm. rather than have to build that friendship. I think that's a really cool thing that was happening, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there something you think that uh, maybe we shouldn't have done that? <laughs> Heaps of things. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good sign. I think you've, like, you yeah. do them, you go, don't, don't do them again. But yeah, any, yeah, any yeah. bits I, to get? Well, I, I like to think about it more as, um, I, I guess, yeah, lessons learned. I think that's a helpful way that's of good. The, yeah, the iterative process yeah. of kind of, and I think that's the mindset almost a church plan needs to mm. go in with is to have this experimental kind of, at least at the very beginning, mm. and to go, well, I don't have all the answers, and mm. but we're going to test things out. Uh, we're going to do that together as mm. friends, uh, and uh, and I think it was helpful to to be backed by Stu and the staff team uh, for me to be in touch with, you know, other mm. people who were aligned uh, in terms of mm. the gospel, in terms of what we were doing, and I think mm. so. All that to say, yeah, there were, there were lessons learned. Mm. I. Uh, I think I was, I've been sharing with Stu that, um, I mean, because we came in and the location had already been found, there was already, already a, a move to, to meet in a place. Yep. And uh, I guess it was just how God worked previously. They, even the core team members, they had invited some other friends and families to come join, uh, and some of them did, uh, and then some of them didn't. And I think uh, as we've been going along, God's been really kind. He's been adding uh, people slowly, and particularly this year, more people visiting, more people um, thinking about being on mission with us in the area. Uh, but I think early on we, we were feeling like, oh, okay, we've got about 20 people who are, who are regularly coming. Uh, and 
it might have, uh, and I think we were comfortable with that, but it might have been just even a bit helpful to have a few more people along for the ride uh, at the beginning point. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The ride at ride. The ride. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I laughed, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I, uh, and I guess particularly with just another family there, um, for, for a young family like us coming in. Yeah. But we've grown through that, and I think God has used that, even as we say, you know, that's, there's lessons learned there. Um, I think we went in with our eyes open. Like, we knew, we knew that what was happening there. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, there, there are things, I, I think, where in terms of, uh, you know, just resources, in terms of people serving, um, and as we started setting up and, and experimenting with different things, yeah, we, uh, it might have being good to have, you know, it would have, we would love to have those people who had been invited to come join us. Mm. But they had good reasons not, um, mm. not to, and, and that's all part of mm. church planning. Mm. Yeah. Uh, last question before we wrap up the episode. You um, spoke briefly about Meadowbank and how it's important to get in there and, and figure out how the best way to uh, spread the gospel there. Yeah. Any other thoughts around that? You were showing us a photo of a little coffee cart van thing that you yeah. wanted to get because we, cause we have the the um, caravan here at yeah, yeah. Sorovol that we use for Yarrawarra and other things. Yeah. But uh, we were thinking something similar. Is that is that what your, your next uh, research project is? <laughs> to find <laughs> something that we can afford and make happen? Perhaps, yeah. Like, that'd be exciting to have. Um, cost money. Yeah, but, that's right. but uh, yeah, there's one, just one of the many things, just like ways of uh, being involved in the community there. Mm. Uh, there's uh, kind of ride markets just mm. down the road. Um, that happens every fortnight. Uh, so just... Being a presence in the community, uh, yeah, we've been th- trying to think a lot more about uh, how do we just get to know our neighbours. Um, a few of us kind of live in that area, uh, and that's great. It'd be lovely to have more people living in that space amongst the people we're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. But yeah, getting, uh, I think we've, and also recently we've been just doing a bit of training about thinking about how to engage with our community, um, how to share the gospel. Mm. So we've just been each week. Uh, just doing the simple things of praying for the people who are who we live next to, mm. the, the barista that we're we're seeing, the baker who's down the road uh, from us, uh, and helping our team think about different ways of being in the community, mm. uh, building friendships uh, there. And I think uh, yeah, where God has has us now is that we've been kind of um, doing a lot of experimentation, and at this point, I think we've steadied out a bit, and we're thinking. Just that bit more about, <coughs> uh, yeah, about evangelism mm. and getting into the community now. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you mentioned to exciting. me, you mentioned to me earlier that, yeah. or to us earlier that um, you were doing a letterbox drop, and yeah. then you were just praying for the entire apartment block that you just dropped. Yeah, um, yeah. to be honest, I'd maybe to my detriment, but I never thought of that. And I thought that that's a good way to to start, isn't it? I think that's a good example of, like I said, that last year we were all over the shop a little bit. So mm-hmm. one of the good things about this year is we've got back to our goal setting where we can plan and then we can review each term as a church. So this term for the whole church is raising up personal evangelists. Yep. And then we've said, let's all increase our evangelism across the whole church, which mm-hmm. is, you know, we've got this saying at Soul Revival, let's share the truth and love of Jesus. But how many of us do actually feel equipped to do that and how many of us are actually doing it? So after we spent the first part of the year building our teams, uh, to get back to something that looked a bit like what we were before COVID with more people involved in ministry and more meetings that actually work. Um, now we have, yeah, the whole church is kind of being able to say, all right, let's 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 reach out. And so 
yeah, all the things we're doing now is focusing on evangelism till the rest of the year. And so the great example of how Ride looks different to Kirawi is they're actually door knocking the units and praying outside the units. At Yarrawarra, they're, they're doing church in a car park where people can just pull in and get a coffee. Down at Cronulla, we're trying to look for a new location that puts us more in the community so that we can be more visible. Kirawi, we're talking about how do we get more happening in the brick pit um, the South Village apartments across the road. So mm. we've already got some stuff going on with that's been going on for a year with our young people just kicking a ball across the road in the park yeah. and a whole heap of yep. teenagers have joined with that. So how do we, yeah, how do we as churches just do it together but all do it kind of differently? It's almost like our gardens are all at different points and mm-hmm. so some of us are just started, some of yeah, us are not. Yeah. I think the other thing too is um, the gardening analogy is really good because Sometimes some of the pl- plants will be dying because there's not something over the top of them, so they need a canopy. And I think one of the challenges in Australia is, uh, you know, in a place where there's not as many people to send out in church planting, how do you do it in a small, cost-effective way? Mm. But one of the problems I've found is that um, that if you're not willing to take risks and try new things, then sometimes you just sit back and don't do anything. So I think not doing anything is more dangerous than actually trying some things and doing things. And I think the thing that I'm really amazed at with Joey and Mary is they've just come straight out of college and they've gone straight into a church plant. And yep. they don't even, they're a young family. They don't even have any other young family. So, yeah. look, they're not going to live overseas in a, in a really difficult part of the world where they don't know the language and stuff. But in many ways they are really pioneering missionaries that are willing to, to work together. So from my point of view, I feel a great deal of uh, admiration and, uh, mm. and you know, they model to me to continue to be fresh and trust in the spirit faithful, and, yeah. and read the word and, you know, be, let's see this as a spiritual endeavour and not do it in our own strength. Mm. And so, yeah, watching you, Joey, be a good father and be a good husband and also be a church planter and mm. you, you see life holistically – uh, I think your little gardening project in in that you know that time when you were envisaging gardening back in the day sort of says to me you do have a lot of entrepreneurial mm. ideas that you you're doing. But the the last thing I'd say too in that is that the benefit of teamwork is I feel like you know as I said before you guys are giving more back to us than we feel like we're giving to you. So it's a it's a really beautiful thing to be doing stuff in team. And I think. Where there are small churches around or small youth ministries around that are feeling feeling the pinch of I just feel like we're by ourselves like and it's just really lonely. I think we need new ways of connecting up smaller ministries together so that we can be networking and working together. Because I think there's a lot of people being reached for the gospel in small churches and small youth ministries. And I think that's incredibly valuable and beautiful. And there's actually missionaries all over the place in the midst of these places we all grew up in, but are, are trying to to actually rethink how to do ministry in our generation because the older ways of doing things kind of don't always uh, produce the same fruit and sometimes it's a little bit like trying to take the banana tree and plonk it straight in the middle of the desert. It feels a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's all these people around the place that are all thinking, how do we do this differently? And I'm really excited about that. I think it's the future looks bright to me in Sydney and other places in the world where at the moment it looks like Christianity is on retreat. But... There's people faithfully standing for Christ in their neighbourhoods, and I think that's that's a really exciting thing. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, it sounds like the you know we talked about the woman who's doing the syntropic farming. She said she'd been doing something for years and years in the traditional way, and then had to find a different way. And yeah. I think that's what you're speaking to there. Yeah, we should go to Sweden see if they've got any ideas. 
Switzerland, wasn't he? No, oh, was he? Swiss, Swiss, I think. Swiss. Yep. We should get a Swiss. We can go to Sweden too. <laughs> yeah. right. We should go to Switzerland. Go for a tour. Yeah, we go to Switzerland. Been to Switzerland and then we, I've been to Switzerland. Yeah. Those water's really nice. <laughs> That's or the main yeah. reason to go. Name out the glaciers. It's really nice water. That, that I'm sure it would be very good. Paddocks, yeah. lots of cows. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's wrap up the episode. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. It's been really Thanks cool Joe. to get you on. We'll, we'll keep getting on more regularly so yeah, we can keep hearing how you're going, planting and ride. And heaps of wisdom. Yeah, heaps of wisdom, how we're, we're going to keep moving forward. So that's really that exciting. Sense. If you do have any questions, uh, if you're listening, thank you for listening, first of all, or watching. Uh, if you do have any question, questions about growing what you can grow now so you can grow what you want to grow later, hit us up. <laughs> Uh, send me an email at joel at shockersorbit.com.au and we can chat about it on the podcast or you can drop a comment on our YouTube channel as well if you like. And uh, thank you as always to producer Eck who always puts these uh, videos and podcasts together for us. And once again, thank you, Stu and Joey. Thank you, Joel. Very, very much appreciated. And we'll finish with one way. All right.